sure you're all uh, geared up and well prepared for the holiday that's coming up next weekend. You all know what holiday that is, right? Reformation Sunday, exactly, coming up next weekend. Now, most often that holiday gets overshadowed by another one, Halloween, right? You're geared up for Halloween. I, you know, I, used, to, I used to get excited about Halloween. Um, I used to you know, take my kids out. They'd dress up as pirates or ghosts, and it was kind of fun to go trick-or-treating with them. And um, I must be getting old because I don't get so excited, especially as your kids go to, get old. And now Stacey and I have already talked to me and said, you know, I think that we'll um, hide down the basement next Saturday night, you know? Um, it just isn't what it used to be, right? But you know, it was always fun to see the kids dressing up, and I'm sure if you leave your porch light on, you'll, have, you'll get a visit from many ghosts and pirates and, and maybe even a skeleton or two next Saturday. Um, a visit by a skeleton, you know, we, we use the phrase um, skeleton in the closet quite often, right? We know what that phrase means. A skeleton in the closet is when you have, you have something in your history, some secret in your family, right, that that if it came out, if it became known, would be very embarrassing. It would be something you don't want people to know. Um, skeletons in the closet, it's political season, right? And we're often trying to find in the politicians we don't like what skeletons they have in their closet that can, can come out, right? You don't want to reveal those things. Um, it's easy to think that, that everyone else has a perfect family, and we're the only ones with skeletons in our closet, with things to hide in our family. But if you ever have done any genealogy searching, some of you might have d- dug back through your family history. Most genealogists look back through their family history hoping to find some great hero in their family, and most often they find mostly skeletons in their family closet, right? You know, the stories of our families are, can be sordid things. Maybe you look back and you go back through the generations and you find a relative who made it big in life and you're proud of that relative, but then you find out they made it big through some shady dealings, maybe through some blackmail. Or maybe you dig back and you find, you find that child in, in your family history that, that was born into your family because the parents, quote unquote, had to get married, Right? or the child of the prostitute back in your family line, or, or some relative who was convicted of murder at some point, spent time in, in prison maybe. Well, those are all skeletons in Jesus' family history, by the way. Uh, that whole list of people, you go back through his genealogy, that's what you find in, in his closet, if you open the closet for his family history. So it always makes me wonder when you look back through Jesus' sordid family history, what makes us think our families need to be perfect, right? Because uh, they certainly aren't. There's plenty of skeletons in the closet. And you don't have to look too far through our spiritual family to find skeletons in our spiritual closet as well. Right? We're, we're children of, of heroes of the faith. Right? We're children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're proud to claim that lineage. We're proud to claim them in our family history. But we're also children, spiritual children of people who are far from great. Right? We're spiritual children of Israel. And Israel was far from faithful. Israel, with all their evil kings, with all their, their godless culture, skeletons abound in our spiritual family closet. And tonight... As we're working our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we started just a few Sundays ago, right? Lord's Day 3 introduces us to the skeleton in our closet, probably the greatest skeleton in our spiritual closet. 
So I want us to read the question and answers of Lord's Day 3. There's three of them together. I'm going to read the part labeled leader. Would you join me in reading the, the answers to the questions? The first question, did God create people so wicked and perverse? No. God created them good and in his own image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that they might truly know God their creator, love him with all their heart, and live with him in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Second question, then where does this corrupt human nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners, corrupt from conception on. And the last question. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined towards all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. You go back far enough in our spiritual family history, you come to Adam and Eve, the first skeletons in our closet, right? We prefer to hide them. We prefer, prefer to hide what they did, but we can't because what they did is written, printed right here on the first pages of this book for everybody to read. And their story is our story. Right? It's part of our family history, part of our family story, and we can't ignore it. You know, so... So you read the first question and answer, number six there, and you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and and you see that God created this world good. He created us to live in perfection with him. Everything was great in paradise, right? And and God created us to do three things, created us to truly know him, to truly love him, and then to live with him in eternal happiness, we said, right? wonderful things that God did for us. It's all about relationship. He created us to be in in a perfect relationship with him. So God creates us good. God creates us perfect in this creation. And so that means when we open the closet and we see the skeletons in our closet, know that God is not a skeleton in our closet. We cannot blame God for the brokenness and evil and sin in this world, even though we're we're often tempted to do just that, aren't we? Uh, Theologically, we know we're not supposed to, but but when it comes down to the practical things of life, when, when the hurt comes right here, so often we point to God, right? We're tempted to say, why, right? Why did God send this evil into my life? Why did God give me this hurt? Why did God send this disease, this pain, this sorrow to the one that I love? God, why did you do that? Right? We're opening up the closet door and we're expecting to see God there. This God who, who secretly, you know, kind of enjoying sending pain, sending judgment, sending sorrow, hurting us in some way. Well, question and answer six of Lord's Day 3 rightly takes God off of that hook. He takes God off the hook for our brokenness, for all the hurt in this world and in our lives, right? It starts by saying, look, God made this world good. God created us 
perfect, and he designed us to be in an awesome relationship with him, a fulfilling one for eternity. He created paradise, and that was his design. That was his plan for you and for me. And then comes question and answer seven, and then comes Genesis three. And it reveals the true skeleton in our closet, right? Adam and Eve choose to disobey. They choose to rebel. They choose brokenness over wholeness. They choose to rely on themselves instead of relying on God. They choose to inject sin into God's creation. But let me just read Genesis 3 for you. You're welcome to follow along if you brought your Bibles tonight. It's a story that's familiar, I would assume, to most of us, but one that we need to hear again of when sin was injected into this world. Okay, so Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God creates this perfect world, this paradise, puts people in there to be in relationship with him, and then comes Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And here comes the brokenness in relationship immediately, right? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains and childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's our story. That's your story. It's my story. 
That chapter, that event, that reality is the skeleton that's in our family closet. Right? Head of our catechism, question and answer seven, use the word poisoned, right? The fall has so poisoned our nature. I think that's a, that's a good word. That's a powerful word for what happened here in Genesis chapter three. Like a poison, this evil and this brokenness enters in and then spreads through all creation and it corrupts everything. Right, Nothing is left unaffected. That, that little bit of poison debilitates the whole of creation. Right, That's what one small dose of poison can do. You don't need a lot. You just need a little. And it affects the whole thing. Reminded me of the story that it's in my family history. Not really a skeleton, but a family story. My, my grandpa Lancer, my mom's father, was a farmer out in Sully, Iowa a long time ago. And, um, and, and he tells the story, um, he wrote it in his memoir before he passed away a few years ago, of, of when he was younger and had, had a, a number of young kids at home yet. And he was out working on the farm. He was, he was working on the fence posts on, on his farmland. And, and he got a little sliver in his pinky. Not a big deal. I mean, these, these Iowa farmers are tough, right? So you pull the sliver out and you go on with work. Not a big deal. Well, over the next two or three days, he got sicker and sicker and sicker. And pretty soon by the third day, he was in bed with every muscle spasmed out. Because that little sliver entered, through that sliver entered a little bacteria. He got bacteria infection called lockjaw. Now we now know tetanus, right? Which sends all your muscles into spasm until you cannot move. Extremely painful. And that infection, that bacteria infection was working its way towards his lungs and towards his heart and was sure to kill him. He said goodbye to his boys. He said goodbye to his, his wife because he knew he was going to die. And they flew in a brand new, almost you know, test medicine called penicillin all the way from New York. They gave him the dose of penicillin. It restored him to health. So my grandpa, I always knew him as the grandpa who, who only had half a pinky because he lost, the, almost dead, but the only repercussions was they cut half his pinky off, and that was it. But that little bit, that little sliver Entered through that, entered just a, a fraction of a bacteria. That was enough to spread through the whole body and just about kill him. In the same way, sin, that poison of sin has entered into this creation, has entered into, into us and has poisoned the whole thing. Right? Adam and Eve's choice to rebel injected the poison of wickedness and corruption and sin and brokenness and pain into this creation, into paradise. And it's no longer paradise anymore, is it? Now, as you read the curses, you heard them, right? Now, now creation works against us. Now there's hard work that has to be done. There's thorns and there's decay. Now storms destroy Right? Waters flood. Sun burns. Animals kill. Now disease fights against the goodness of God's creation. This creation that was created to, to make us joy, to give us joy, to, to be where we experience fullness, now inflicts pain because poison of sin and brokenness has been injected into it. 
And when Adam and Eve chose to rebel, they injected the poison of, of wickedness and corruption and brokenness and pain into their own lives. And that poison has now been passed down from generation to generation through the family tree right now to where you are and to where I am today. Our bodies are poisoned. They're poisoned with disease and death and decay. We all feel it. Beyond that, our, our souls are poisoned. Right? We just read, we just confessed that we are born sinners. We're born with poison in our souls. Right? We, we spoke the words, we're, we're corrupt from conception on. In other words, we are genetically poisoned by sin. A lot of people, not reformed people, would say, whoa, 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 you're saying that from conception? From before I can do anything, I'm already guilty and poisoned by sin? I say, yeah. It's pretty clear, isn't any of you have had children, uh, young children, did you have to teach them how to lie? <laughs> no. It comes pretty easy, doesn't it? They aren't very good at it. You've got to teach them how to do it better, but they know how to lie right away. I never had to teach my kids how to cheat. Never had to teach them that when somebody, somebody takes your toy, you hit them, right? It comes naturally. You know, to teach them to try and take other people's stuff, they go grab the other kid's toy, whether they want it or not, Right? Our kids, are, they're naturally sinful. We are not from conception on. Right? We are injected with the poison of greed that fights against contentment. You and I are injected with the poison of envy and coveting. We are injected with the poison of hatred that fights against love. We're injected with the poison of laziness that works against hard work and dedication. We're injected with the poison of perversion that fights against virtue. We're injected with the poison of lying that, that fights against honesty. We have the poison of sin running through our veins, and we pass it along to our children from generation to generation. It's a family trait, just like my gray hair. The poison of sin gets passed along to me. Can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. And that poison affects all of us, every part. Right, that's what question and answer eight told us. I, I like to think that I have, that I have you know, a sinful part of me and, and a good part of me. Right? I like to think that, that my sinfulness is compartmentalized. Right? I got sick parts and healthy parts. You know, and maybe I'm poisoned in the area of greed, but, but you know, I'm pretty pure in the area of anger. Or maybe I, I don't have a problem with lying. I'm good there, but I do need to work on laziness. We compartmentalize life into to good parts and, and, and not so good parts. Well, that's not the way it works. This poison, this infection has worked its way into every single part of us. Right? We're so, the question, are we so corrupt that we're really totally unable to do any good, inclined towards all evil? And the answer is yes. Because everything is affected here. You know, it's, it's obvious in our blatant outright sins, right? The things that, that at the end of the day when we kneel beside our bed and, and we, we pray that those things that we confess to God, say, God, here's where I sinned. And we lay those, those big things, those obvious things, those blatant things before God and say, please forgive me, right? It's obvious that's infected. I got the poison right there. Please, God, take it away. 
But then in that prayer, we all often also, maybe subconsciously, maybe not verbally, like to offer up other parts of our lives and say, God, didn't you like this? I did pretty well here, didn't I? I did pretty good. But the truth is, even our best deeds, the best things we do in life, they too are poison. We can't get all the greed out of, and selfishness out of our generosity. It's, it's there. We can't get all the lust out of our love. We can't get all the pride out of our service. We can't get all the jealousy out of our sacrifice. We can't get all the laziness out of our hard work. Everything we do, even the best of the best of what we do, is still poisoned by sin. And any bit of poison means it's, it's corrupted, it's imperfect, it's unacceptable to a perfectly holy God. He's not going to accept any bit of poison into his, his life, into his world. So the answer is yes, we are unable to do any pure good. Everyone's infected, every part. Boy, pretty ugly skeleton in the closet there, isn't it? That's a pretty big one to look back on and and see and say, yeah, that's my family. Yeah, that's my heritage. That's me. It's a family skeleton that continues to haunt us today. And it's a fitting truth to remember as we head towards Reformation Day, right? And the Reformation occurred back when we were really kind of pushing that skeleton back into the closet, out of sight, forgotten. It's easier that way not to, not to look at that ugliness. Believing that there were good things we could do. There are good things that we could do to find favors with God, right? To counteract the poison in our soul. Here's what you do. And the poison goes away. Well, the Reformation brought us back to the true skeleton in our closet, put it in front of our faces again and said, look at the truth of who you are, of who we all are, reminded, of, reminded us of just how broken and helpless we are. And that's the right thing to do, as discouraging as it is, right? This is the third Sunday in the catechism dealing with sin. I'm ready to move on, Right? I'm kind of sick of these depressing sermons, but, but we need to know the truth of who we are because knowing the skeletons in our closet is key to banishing them, right? Until we know the poison that's in us, we won't know how to find the cure. Until we know what that poison is, we will keep trying to get rid of it with things that don't work thinking back to 11 summers ago. 11 summers ago, I started, we started the summer with a big, um, my, my parents and all my siblings together camping out at Hoffmaster for, for a week. My siblings, I live coast to coast. I remember it because it was a time when everybody was finally together. It doesn't happen very often. And, um, and it was on that camping trip that my dad first talked about how he's had this summer cold and, and cough for a couple weeks. And, um, he didn't feel well that summer, short of breath, kind of achy. He treated himself for that, that summer cold, that, that flu. When it didn't go away, he saw his doctor, and his doctor immediately put him on, on an antibiotic for a lung infection that he had. So he did the two weeks of that antibiotic, and it didn't get, take the infection away. And so he put him on a stronger antibiotic, did two more weeks, still didn't go away. Put him on a third antibiotic, two more weeks, infection still didn't go away. So 
set up another appointment, and, and they found out it wasn't an infection at all. It was cancer. It was a lung cancer. You know what? For weeks, they were treating the wrong thing. They were treating a cold. They were treating the flu. They were treating an infection. They didn't know the poison. And so everything they did did nothing to get rid of the poison, right? And, and just to do more and more doesn't make any sense. And yet that's what we so often do with our spiritual sickness, isn't it? We have the poison of sin running through us, affecting every part, and, and nothing can help us, nothing can heal that poison except, as we profess, except being born again by the Spirit of God, except to humbly receive the grace of God through faith and to be born into a new family that doesn't have the skeleton in the closet, the family of God. Right? We need a blood transfusion from Jesus, being born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, being transformed by him and being led by him as our Lord and Savior again to accept that free gift of grace. We offer nothing and we receive everything. Okay, that's the only way. And yet how often don't you and I Keep bringing what we think are such good works to try and impress God, expecting him to be impressed with us, right? Expecting this goodness that we live out to somehow earn his favor. And we keep bringing more and more and say, God, aren't you impressed? God, don't you love me? Aren't I doing a great job? God, isn't this good enough? I'm better than most. Hoping it will cure our cancer. It won't. It won't. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We're all contaminated and poisoned. Everything we bring to God is poisoned. Our only hope is to be born again by the Spirit of God. Our only hope is grace through faith. That's why we need to know about the skeleton in our closet. Right? No, one, no one likes to talk about them. No one likes to think about them. We just soon close that closet door and not go there. We'd rather find, if we open that closet door, if we look in our family history, wouldn't we much rather find a pleasant surprise, right? Maybe you'll find that, that we're related to a prince or a king or maybe some inventor or sports star. And, and yes, our, you open the closet to our spiritual family, and there are some heroes in there. There's some great heroes of the faith. But we cannot ignore the skeleton in the closet, the skeleton of sin filling every single corner. You and I, we've got to admit it. We're injected with the poison of sin. There's no way to avoid it, and there's nothing we can do to heal ourselves. It's a discouraging truth, but it's a valuable truth. Because knowing our history helps us to know ourselves, to be honest with ourselves about who we are. And when we truly and honestly know ourselves, the truth of our, of our helplessness, the truth of the poison running through us, then it helps us to know the cure. And knowing the cure, knowing that that cure is available, it opens our hearts to receiving what Jesus has to offer. The antidote to our poison. Right? New birth, new life, salvation by grace through faith. So there's a big skeleton 
in your closet and in my closet. Tonight, know that skeleton, as ugly as it is. Because then you'll know your Savior as beautiful as he is. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us. Forgive us, first of all, for ignoring the skeleton in our closet. We like to think that that we're good enough, that we're pure enough, that we're holy enough, that we can impress you, that we really don't need, we don't need much of your grace, just a little bit here and there. Forgive us when we forget that we are completely infected with the poison of sin. And we do ask that you forgive us for the times we have chosen to accept that poison and to live it out in our lives. Forgive us for the skeletons that we have added to our spiritual closet, the ugliness of sin that we have chosen to live out. Thank you, Father, that in your goodness and your grace, there is no skeleton so ugly There is no sin so big that you, through your son Jesus, cannot forgive. There's no sin that you cannot wash clean. And so, Father, tonight we come before you, and I hope we do this often. We come before you with empty hands, not offering you anything that we think is so good and so so worthy. We come humbly with empty hands, Acknowledging the sin in our lives. Acknowledging the impurity of everything we have to offer. And we humbly ask for your grace. Ask for your forgiveness. Not because we are so good, but because you, God, are so good and so gracious. And you, Jesus, sacrifice everything for us. Thank you for that amazing grace that washes us clean every time, creating us a heart that humble and that willing.